Hey, thank you for listening to the Rise Youth Podcast. Rise Youth is a youth group that exists to rise up and saturate our schools with the gospel. You are right now listening to a teaching from our new series, Death Life, a life resurrected by the death of Jesus. In other words, once we die to our old selves and come to resurrection life in Christ, once we get saved, how then should we live? actually really weird for me. So raise your hand if you were born in 2002 or afterwards. That makes me feel really old because in October 30th, 2002, I flew in a plane from Portland, Oregon, landed in Atlanta, Georgia, then hopped on this smelly, nasty coach bus with like my little bag of belongings and then drove in that bus for like hours into South Carolina. And then you get off the bus and I kind of knew what to expect, but I wasn't quite ready because there's this dude at the door when you get off the bus and he's got this green hat on and it's like this wide, it's wool, it's got this brim on it, and this dude can yell like nobody else. And he just starts yelling in my face, and I am like so scared. And I had seen like all the movies of people going into the army and the marines and all this kind of stuff, and the drill sergeant's like yelling at your face. But I was not prepared for what it's like to actually be in that moment. And they're like, I'm sitting there, and they tell me to get into formation, and my knees are shaking, and you're like, dude, I want to get out of this, but I already signed the line so there's no way I can actually get out of this right now. And the guys are just yelling at me. But there's something that was crazy that happened over the next nine weeks of basic training. Because through all the yelling, through all the gnarliness, through all the crazy stuff, they they formed something in us. So there were 60 of us guys in a bay, and we had this platoon of of like these 60 people. And what they, they started to instill in us is a level of teamwork that I had never actually been a part of, never understood. And and they did it through the the craziest means possible to the point where like everything you did, you did with somebody. There's nothing that you do alone when you go in the army. Like you, everywhere you go, you have a battle buddy with you. You're either with a whole group of people or you at least have one person that you're going with. Like you got to go to the bathroom, you take your battle buddy with you to the point where like you get up at 4.15 in the morning, you go and do your physical training and you like just work yourself to death where you're so tired and then you need to go back and take a shower and there's only like eight showers for like the 60 people and you have like 10 minutes to get showered so like one person goes in gets wet hops out the next person goes in then you soap up and then you switch and it's weird and you're just like all right just got to get through this but we are a team and even more than that these drill sergeants they yell at you and here's what happens when one of you gets in trouble you all get in trouble. The one dude like didn't roll his socks just right and it had like the wrinkle in it and you're doing push-ups for hours to the point that you can't physically do it anymore and you just can't push one more time and you're like, dude, why did you have the wrinkle in your stupid sock? But what this does is at the end, as we go through, you're so like mad at these drill sergeants that you actually bind together and you start to work together. You start to figure out how to clean your bay in an efficient way as a team. 
And then by the end of basic training, they're not even yelling at you that much anymore because when you guys are doing like the hikes and the outdoor stuff and you're like sleep deprived and you're food deprived and you're tired and hungry and just everything sucks and someone falls down, there's like no hesitation because this is your brother or this is your sister that just fell down and everybody comes around, helps them up. If they're like hurt or whatever, they like take off like the weight of the rucksack, whatever, and you, you just help out. And we started to become something more than just a team. It was like you're actually family. There was something binding us together that was stronger than most of the like, things that I'd ever been a part of. Any sports that I ever played, any like, camaraderie that I had through like, skateboarding and the guys that I lived with and hung out with and all that compared nothing. Guys that I'd known for years didn't form as deep of bonds as I did with these guys who I was with for like nine weeks going through really hard hard stuff in close proximity. But what this reminds me of is this is what the church is supposed to be. This is what the church is supposed to be. This is life as the church, is that even when we're going through really hard, gnarly stuff, that the church is supposed to be a family that binds itself together, that all these people from all different walks of life, all different places, all different backgrounds, all different socioeconomic statuses, like all this kind of stuff that people would bind together and actually be like a family. Because here's the reality. If, if you don't know what church is, church is not a building. You are not in a church. Yeah, we use that language here, but you are not in a church. You are within the church as far as the body of Christ. The church is the people of Jesus. The church is the family that God is making as he's calling people to himself. As he adopts sons and daughters, he calls people to himself and we become brothers and sisters in Christ. That we are a resurrected family. Last week we talked about like this baptism and what it is to die to sin and to be alive to Christ. That's what this whole series is about. Is that we would be a resurrected family. Like a spiritual family. And there's something deep and powerful and beautiful about family. Because if, if you don't really know what family is. Like in my mind, family is not just flesh and blood. Yeah, that's one way to describe it. And I think that's actually a powerful piece to understand. But be, because family, what family is, is family is more than friends, right? Family is more than friends. Because friends... They might come and go, but hopefully, hopefully, it doesn't always work this way, but hopefully in family, there's something that ties us that's stronger than all the difficulties of life, something that actually binds us together, that helps us walk through all the gnarly stuff, something that no matter how bad things get, that we would still be a family. That's the hope of what a family is. And sometimes our physical families fail to live up to that. It, it fails to actually meet that criteria. And that's what God is building in the church, is a, a spiritual family that actually binds ties that go way deeper than any friendship and any hardship so that any hardship that we would go through, we would actually have a family to walk through it with us. This week, as we talk about Resurrection Family, we're in Romans chapter 12. We're going to be starting in verse 9, but uh, as you guys grab your Bibles, flip there, or it'll be on the screen, will you pray with me? Father, uh, man, it's so cool that I actually even get to call you Father. God, that you... You adopt sons and daughters into your family, that, that you are creating this beautiful, crazy family that looks so weird and awesome because it's all these people. 
God, I pray that, that you would actually draw more people into your family tonight. That you would actually save some through the blood of Jesus. And I pray that, that those of us who actually know you would, would actually be called into a deeper relationship with the family that you're creating. That we would see what it is to walk with our spiritual family. God, I pray this in, in your son's name, Jesus Christ, and his blood poured out for us on the cross. Amen. So yeah, like I said, we're in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. If you don't know what's going on here, this dude Paul is writing this. It's actually God writing through Paul, but he uses Paul's like natural inclinations and who he is. And he was like this dude that was like super religious. And then he actually met the real Jesus and got radically transformed. And, and I love Paul because he's like, a logic person, like highly rational, and goes through like arguments saying like, all right, this is why this is. And so he, he goes through all this argument for like chapter upon chapter for like 10 chapters on what is the gospel, what actually saves us, that this gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that there's an indictment against us, against us for our sin, the wrongdoing that we've done against a holy and righteous God, and that we deserve death, but Jesus comes to save us, that we can't work for our salvation, but Jesus saves us from anything that would hurt us, Jesus can save us. He can make us new people. He can bring us from death to life. And he gives us this family. And in chapter 12, he starts talking about what this family is. And he says that we are many members of one body. That, that we're not like just individuals. We, we each have a shape. We're each individuals. But we're part of this bigger family. And in verse 9, he goes on. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality." Right? There's a lot of crazy words in here, and a lot of it may not seem to go together. Like, why, why is he saying, like, like, I get this part about, like, he's talking about being part of this family and these members of let love be without hypocrisy. Yeah, this is about, like, love. But what's this whole part about abhor what is evil? What does that word even mean? Cling to what is good? Like, I get the part about being devoted and, like, giving preference. But what, what about this whole, like, not lacking behind in diligence? All of this has one unified thought. So everything in this paragraph, we have to apply to this idea of God's family, of the resurrection family, because this is what this whole section is about. And take it into context that this is, this is what's being talked about. And, and so then we hit these things, like abhor what is evil. Like, wh who uses the word abhor? Who's like used that in like the past month at all? Like, really? No, no. Uh, right? Like, a lot of us don't even know what this word abhor means. Like, it's this word for, like, loathing or hatred. Actually, like, a repugnant hatred. Uh, let me give you an example. This, dude, I have this fridge. It's like this little mini fridge. And, like, I was storing a bunch of stuff at my sister's house. She's got, like, five acres. And she's got this big pole barn, like, way down on the back of her property. And this, like, fridge had, like, a crack in the top and this hole. And, it, like, I had set it in this pole barn. And I hadn't seen it like for like two or three months and I go back to get it and I, I open up the door and what had happened was is there was like mice that got in through the hole on the top, 
but like the sides are like smooth and they like can't get up and you open it up and there's like seven dead mice, but it's not just like, like mice with their little fur, but like rotting like half carcasses. And then the smell hits your face and like you start like gagging and dude, that, this is what Paul is talking about here. But, but what, what is he talking about this in the context of this family? These relationships that we're supposed to have. That if God is creating this family, and he's giving us these commands of what this is supposed to look like, how, how does this fit like being repulsed by what is evil? I mean, I, look, at, look at what it is before it. Let love be without hypocrisy. Right? Where we say one thing and we do another. Don't, don't shout names or anything like that. But do, you guys, do you guys know people that are just hypocrites to the core? And it's really hard to like be around them? I know all of you guys should raise your hands because like, it's probably all of the people around here because I'm one of them. Right? Uh, dude. But that, it's hard when we deal with hypocrites a lot. Right? It's hard when we deal with people that are rude and mean and self-seeking, right? It doesn't build up a family, and it doesn't make us want to actually bind together in love. But, but man, the way that we love, the way that we care for one another should surpass all of that, should transcend all of that to the point that, that when we're doing things that are actually evil, that are hurtful, that are self-seeking, that are hypocritical, that we would actually abhor that in ourselves, that we would hate it and we'd be repulsed by that, and that we would cling to what is good. What, like, what is actually good for your relationships? What is actually building you up as this family? Being devoted to one another. Another story from the Army is when, when I got deployed in 2009, 2010, we were on a surgical team. And at this point, so in basic training, it, it, it's all kind of fun and games. They're yelling at you, but nothing's really happening, right? Until we actually get into country in Iraq, and they start, like, shooting mortars at you and trying to kill you. And there's, like, Iraqis that were on our base, like, trying to kidnap different people. And so we had to, like, walk around with, like, my, like, 24-7, I'm, like, in surgery. And I have, like, an M16 strapped to my back, like, fully loaded, like, ready to go in case they, like, try and do something crazy. And, and, and there's this devotion to one another because of what's going on. Those people, I'm sure of, we never got in a situation where we had to, but those people that I lived with and walked with were so devoted to me that I know that one of them would have taken a bullet for me and I would have for them too because I loved them and I cared for them and I'd walk through hard things with them. And this, this is the family, this is what the family of Jesus is supposed to be like, devotion to one another. You guys know in the early church, when Jesus first established the church, what that looked like? When people were going hungry and without food, people were selling their very houses. Like selling their house and taking the money and spreading it out within the church because they're like, dude, who cares if I have a place to live or whatever? Like these people are starving. I'm so devoted to this family that I'm going to sell it. Man, what would it look like if the church today had a devotion like that? What would it look like here and now in Rise Youth, if you guys that are believers had a devotion for each other like that, that when you guys are walking through hard times, that you actually came around each other and encouraged each other and prayed for each other 
and walked with each other. I think a lot of that stuff is happening. But what if we took it to the next level? What if we took it to the next level? Check this out, verse 11. I love, I love this. Not lagging behind in diligence. What do, you, do you guys know what diligence is? Anybody? Anybody? Give me. Hey, Gabriel. What's diligence? You raise your hand. Persevere through stuff. Okay. That, that's kind of on the right track. Anybody else? Who's really diligent in their schoolwork? Connor, what does that mean that you're diligent in your schoolwork? You're steadfast, right? Persevering, steadfast, right? Like, like you do stuff, you work towards it. You make it a priority in your life. You don't wait till the last minute to get it done. You don't do it as an afterthought. You, you plan for it. You work at it. Like, here's what Paul is saying to us is that we should actually work on our relationships in the spiritual family. Right? That if we die to ourselves and we live with Christ, is that what we do to become a spiritual family that binds together and is devoted to one another? Is that we're purposeful. We don't let it just happen. We make it happen. Right? When we know that someone is in pain or struggling, we actually purposely reach out. We call them. We text them. We ask them to go have coffee or whatever you guys do. I, all I do ever is meet for people with coffee because I like coffee. But that we would be diligent that we would work at this family, right? Because families take work. Families take work. But as the work gets put in, Jesus, Jesus does something. Right? Jesus is going to build it. It's not our work that actually saves us or changes us, but he's asking us to work on this family. To be diligent in the way that we relate to others. Rejoicing in hope. I want to keep going. We're, we're going to hit verse 14 here. Bless those who persecute you. How hard is that? Is that hard? Bless those who persecute you. Like when people call you names, people hate you, people make fun of you. Dude, God says bless those. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Is there ever people at your school that you just don't want to associate with? Man, I got a lot of amens there and hands raised and all that. You, you might want to memorize this verse. Right here. Just, just me- memorize that verse. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is my own, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you guys know that there's sort of like two types of people? There... There's justice people, and then there's grace people. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? All right. So, so I had this experience this morning. I, you can figure out what kind of person I am right here. So I'm on the freeway, and I'm going to work, and it's like 
5.30 in the morning, and I'm, I'm driving my little 1981 yellow Toyota pickup. I'm in the right lane. I'm doing like 58 miles an hour, which is three miles an hour over the speed limit, and I'm in the right lane. And I have a pet peeve, and it's called tailgating. Like, I don't like when people tailgate me, especially when I'm in the right, like if I'm in the left lane and going like five under, like dude, whatever, like tailgate me, I'll get out of your way. But like I'm in the right lane on the freeway, like going over the speed limit and you're tailgating me, like just move around. So the, the actual driver's manual tells you to do this. Like if you read the, the, well, it's in the CDL one, it's probably in the regular one too. But like it tells you that when you have tailgaters, you're not supposed to like step on the brakes, you're not supposed to do any of that kind of stuff. You're supposed to just let, like slow down a little bit and let them go around. Then they say like, because even if you're going slower and they, there was a wreck, it would be safer because you're going at a slower speed. So I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna go by the manual and do exactly what this says and slow down. But, but here's my point, it's not because I'm trying to be safe or not because I'm trying to do anything like this, it's because I'm actually mad at this guy and I just kinda wanna make his life kind of annoyed right now. Like, so I'm like getting down to like 45 and there's cars to the left and I'm like just going slower and slower on the freeway because I'm a jerk, right? Can you guys, have you guys figured out which side I'm on? What, what side is that? Justice, right? I'm on the justice side. How, how many of you guys are the justice people? That like when, when things go wrong, people are jerks. Like you, you, you want to make something happen that they, they feel how annoyed you are, feel how mad you are. Like how many of you guys are those people, right? Like, okay. That's pretty normal. How many of you guys are just like, you just brush it off and you're like, dude, why are you being such a jerk? Just like. What, whatever, just keep driving, right? Right, yeah, see? See, you got these people. You got the justice people and the grace people. You grace people are probably way, way more sanctified than I am. Um, be, because what is he saying here? He's saying actually go to the grace side, right? I'm, I'm like the justice guy. I want to see justice. I want to actually administer justice because I'm mad. But here, here's the crazy thing about it. Is the second that I'm in the wrong, you know what kind of person I am? <laughs> I'm a grace person because I want that grace, right? Like, I don't want justice administered to me. I just want it for all of them. Man, how hypocritical is that? God is still growing me, and he's making me new every day, and I need him. But here's the point. This, this is actually what God is trying to tell me. Is that all of you, all of, all of you that are believers that were raising your hand and saying, yeah, like, I'm the, the, grace, the grace side of that, and I just kind of let it roll off. God's telling me, hey, you, you need to learn from your brothers and sisters in this. And you need to grow to be more like them in this particular area of your life. Because it's not for you, it's not for me, it's not for Scott Bean to bring about justice. God is the only one that can rightfully do that. And I, I do need to forgive and I need to let it go even when they're tailgating me. What if we did this in the church? You guys ever heard bad reports about the church? Do people ever talk poorly about the church as a whole in society? Man, I think they talk really bad about the church. They hate the church. There's one reason why. 
It's because we say Jesus is the only way. And they're just going to hate us for that. And I'm fine with that. But there's another reason why. It's because the church doesn't always love itself. Love the members of the church. Love the family of the church like it should. And if we were to grow in this every single day, if we were to become devoted to one another like a family, man, how much would we all grow? How much would we all really feel Jesus' love and his care for us through his church? Well, what would it be like for you? If you're a believer, what would it be like for you to actually take a next another step in devotion to your brothers and sisters in the church? What would it look like to actually hate evil and cling to what it's good? What would it look like to, to let go of hypocrisy? What would it be like to actually embrace grace for people because we have been given so much grace? What would that display to the world? What is your next step to grow closer to the brothers and sisters in the family of the church. And if you're not a believer, if you're not a believer, God is inviting you into a family. And yes, that family screws up a lot because it's made up of humans just like you. That family screws it up a lot. But you know what? We're going to grow together and Jesus is going to grow us. And if you're not a believer, Jesus is inviting you into that family. And I, I, you need to understand the truth of the gospel. You need to understand that actually the reason why it's all broken, the reason that we hurt each other, the reason that there's hypocrisy and evil and all these types of things is because of sin, which resides in each of us. That we all sinned against each other and against a holy God, and he wants to save us. And so Jesus, who is perfect and never sinned, he bore our death, our penalty, the things that we deserve on the cross. He poured out his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He rose again that we might have hope in him and that if we would confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There are people here tonight that do not know Jesus and I tell you that today is the day of salvation and you need to meet him tonight. Today is the day of salvation and you need to meet him tonight. And you need to join the resurrection family. And you need to actually join in and be the member that you were meant to be. And to, to grow the church in love. We need you in this family. I need to be edified by you in this family. Man, church, what if we really loved each other? If you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to consider Jesus and his sacrifice for you. Think about that as we move into a time of worship, as we sing to our God. Would you think about how much he loves you and the family that he's inviting you into? Let's pray.